This is the Muscles and Management Podcast, where we build your body and your business. Talking all things training, sports performance, and business for athletes and aspiring coaches to enhance your training and better your career. Muscles and Management is brought to you by Challenger Strength with your host, Jerry DeFilippo. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode number 26 of the Muscles and Management Podcast. I am recording live on a Sunday uh, from beautiful Point Pleasant, New Jersey. Uh, I think it might technically be brick. I think it, it actually is technically brick. My mother's probably hearing me um, speak right now upstairs and, and saying, you idiot, it's brick. It's brick. Um, I am away on vacation this week. Uh, nice little break for me. It's my usual early July vacation, but uh, I still want to get some episodes out there, and I also am going to be getting a couple interviews done throughout the week. Uh, having this time off is giving me a little bit of flexibility with the schedule to get some great guests on. I will not bore you with the details of that now because I kind of want to get into things, but uh, at the end of the show, I will kind of detail what we have going forward. I really have uh, some cool guests that I'm excited about. Um, apologies in advance. There's this like weird clicking noise. It's a little windy here and I don't know if it's coming from like the, the kitchen um, vent or whatever it is. Hopefully when I pass this through my uh, editing software, it'll reduce that background noise. Um, or I'll just keep my uh, voice a little louder and hopefully that'll drown it out a bit. Um, thank you for the support. We just reached 25 episodes, which is crazy to me. I think I've only missed uh, three weeks or three episodes in the time since I've started. Um, that's huge. I've, I've really wanted to you know, maintain consistency with this. I think uh, a big part of a successful podcast lies in that. So uh, thank you for the support. We've been growing. Uh, it's been fantastic. Uh, and I'm excited to keep it going. Um, thank you for you know, 5K followers. I just recently reached 5,000 followers on Twitter. Um, and I'm approaching 10,000 overall between Instagram and Twitter. It's just awesome. It's really, really cool. Uh, thank you for that, obviously. Thank you for the support. Uh, you know, looking forward to continue growing and getting as much information as I can out there to all of you. So with that said, as I mentioned on Twitter, today's episode, I want to talk about uh, how strength and power and speed training and strength training can improve your aerobic conditioning, right? Excuse me. So... Many people, you know, want to get in quote unquote shape, but don't realize that the strength and speed training they're doing or they're not doing can um, either continue to benefit or will benefit if they begin doing it, um, their aerobic conditioning and their overall conditioning. I want to take a second to talk about uh, a client of mine. He's a general population guy. He's like, I want to say he's in his uh, late 40s um, in pretty good shape. He's been doing triathlons, marathons, Ironman competitions, uh, things of that nature for a long time. Shout out to him. I think they're just impressive enough, uh, you know, in and of themselves, um, you know, just to be able to go through, you know, the grueling, uh, you know, runs and swims and biking and everything that goes into those. So, um, Basically, I've had him for, I want to say, maybe five months. And, you know, strength and speed training has greatly benefited him, you know, in his uh, performances in these events. So, you know, basically, he had an event a couple weeks ago, and it had been a while since he had had one before. And, you know, as I alluded to, and I'll explain a little bit, the Ironman starts with a two-mile swim. And, and forgive me if I get these numbers a little wrong, but I think it's a two-mile swim. Uh, which is crazy enough as it is, but after you get done with that swim, you then go and uh, I want to say you run 
next or maybe you but no, no no i think you bike in the middle whatever it is you bike like a ridiculous amount of miles and then you finish up with a marathon um you know i couldn't do a marathon if you literally like bribed me with a million dollars cash i don't think i would finish it so the fact that like these people are finishing a marathon after you know swimming two miles and biking is just amazing to me but anyway tangent over on that he basically um you know noticed a great deal of success with his swimming particularly uh, you know, he did well in his other events too, but there was, you know, swimming was something he mentioned to me particularly that he had achieved his best time he had ever done um, in the swimming portion of one of these events. And the interesting part about it is that makes it even cooler is that he only swam once a week leading up to this when usually he was swimming two or three times. So I know you're like, get to the point, Jerry. Basically, the cool thing about it was that the lot the strength training and the you know a lot of the work that we did in, in strengthening his upper body and, and improving the you know uh muscles in his upper back and all of that stuff uh whether it was you know band pull aparts we were doing between sets of what we were doing his bench press um the row work the chin-ups you know all things of that nature really went a long way in uh improving the uh, conditioning in terms of strength and, and power output of his upper back muscles, which allowed him to not only one, put more power or put more output in to his swimming, but it helped him stay, um, you know, a little less fatigued throughout the event. Obviously, I'm going to explain how that works, but, um, you know, this was a great example of a guy that's competing in a, you know, longer distance, more, um, you know, aerobic slash, uh, you know, lactic power type of event. And again, I'll explain what those mean. Um, you know, in an Ironman, but you know, the stuff that we did in strength training and we really didn't do any conditioning. A lot of the just muscle muscle focused activity that we did really went a long way in helping improve, uh, his performance. So, uh, shout out to Jim, a uh, great guy that, uh, I've, it's been a pleasure. He's been a pleasure, uh, continuing work with him and he has another event in November. So we're going to get him ready for that, but really cool example of how this all works. So with that being said, Let's get a little bit into the nuts and bolts here and uh, let's define some stuff and explain a couple things. When it comes to, uh, you know, using strength and speed training to improve, um, you know, the overall conditioning of your aerobic system, the efficiency of your aerobic system and your ability to kind of stay uh, in a range that, you know, will be less likely to fatigue you. Um, the first thing we want to look at would be max output and operational output. So if we're looking at max output, um, max output essentially comes down to, uh, you know, the max speed, strength, uh, power, or overall, and I said it's in the definition, I hate to use the word in the definition, but the, uh, the overall highest output the body is capable of producing at a given time uh, in the most ideal and perfect environment, right? So consider maximum output. I'm going to use a good football example here. Uh, Joe DeFranco, a guy that I've learned a lot from, uses this, and it makes a lot of sense, and I, I want to steal this from him, so shout out to him. Um, you know, let's say you take a football athlete who you're uh, training to run the 40-yard dash, right? And you do all this training and everything, and you test his, uh, you text his, you test his 40, um, you know, indoors, on that nice turf. He's in his shorts. He's in his running, shor uh, running shorts, his shirt. Um, and like his, his sprint shoes or his track shoes, and he you know runs his 4440 uh, blazing fast, right? That's his max output. Like in the most ideal, perfect condition at his best, um, his body is capable of producing X amount. Like that's his that's his absolute best, right? Then we look at something known as operational output. So 
operational output and hold on to that example of the 40 because we're going to go back to it in a, in a couple seconds. Um, the operational output is, you know, the max output the body can display in a non-ideal environment or, uh, you know, sub-maximal output displayed when the max output is not needed or necessary. So uh, let's give an example of that. The uh, max output in non-ideal environments, right? So let's just say, uh, that, you know, that athlete runs a 4-4-40 when he's, you know, in his, comp he's in his proper clothing, his proper um, cleat, so to speak, and he's indoors on that turf, whatever. His operational output in 40-degree weather with pads and a football in his hand, if he's a running back, he's not going to run that 4-4. It's, like, not possible, right? Uh, maybe he's running a 4-7 or a 4-8, which, given the scenario, is very impressive, right? Like, that's an awesome operational, um, you know, output for those, uh, you know, conditions, right? Or we're looking at a submax output displayed when uh, max output is not needed or necessary. So thinking of uh, you know that kind of example, let's just say uh, you know baseball. I'll use a good baseball reference. Man on second base, and he's got he batter hits a ball to, to the gap. It's a clear double, easily able to score on that. Right, that guy at second might not necessarily have to sprint full speed. And display his in-game max output, right? Like, so let's say second to home it, for him, if he were to run it in like uh, as fast as he possibly could in a game situation, would be X speed. But this ball is hammered into the gap. Like, there's no chance. He, there's no reason he needs to hammer it home uh, as fast as he possibly can, right? The operational output then would be like that 75% intensity he runs from second to home on. Like, that's all he needs to get there in the given time. He gets there standing up. There's no cutoff throw. Like, you know everything in that situation. So he's not putting out his, um, you know, max capacity needed. So right off the bat, let's use an example here. Let's say you have a guy like Brett Gardner, I'm a Yankee fan and the game's actually on right now. So I'm going to use him as an example. And then we're going to have a guy uh, like Gary Sanchez. We're going to compare the two of them, right? So let's just say, and I really off the top of my head do not have uh, knowledge of what a good time from second home is. I'm sorry. I will check that after the episode and maybe uh, make a note on Twitter, but let's just say for argument's sake, and this could be totally awful, let's just say a fast runner takes like f four and a half seconds, four seconds to go from second home. Like Brett Gardner, absolutely motoring. He's going to score if he had to run full speed in a game, second of, uh, home in 4.5 seconds, right? So, you know, Aaron Hicks gets up and Gardner's on second and he hits a, you know, smash double to the left, uh, right center gap, right? Like they have no shot at getting him. They probably wouldn't even get him if he was on first, right? He's scoring easily. He's going to jog and coast in, right? And it's it's not even a challenge, right? For Brett, that like slow intensity or that coasting speed is such a minute, let's say he gets home in seven seconds because he just kind of jogs it through. It's easy. You're looking at close to almost half of the output he usually put in at max speed, right? That's not taxing him much at all. Let's take a guy like Gary Sanchez. Gary Sanchez now, he might take six seconds to get home, right? So this ball gets hit in the gap. Gary's not going to be running full speed maybe, but he's going to have to hustle a little bit because for him to get home in the seven seconds in the comfortable time, that's a much higher percentage of his max, max output being like six seconds to get home than it is of Brett Gardner's four and a half. Brett Gardner could almost run at half speed to get home in comfortable time when Gary's probably going to be up to like 80 or 90. So right off the bat, you can kind of see here, like if your max output's higher, that operational or coasting speed is way less of a percentage of that and is way less taxing on uh, your energy systems and your overall body and your conditioning and your fatigue, right? So let's take a couple steps back. Obviously, I wanted to give you the max output and operational output definitions 
Um, so you kind of had a point of reference going forward, but uh, it's a little more complicated than that, and it involves like a uh, you know a relationship between you know some different energy systems that come together with strength and speed training that make this uh, you know true and make this the way it is. So let's take a look at those. Also, shout out Gary. I'm not like dogging you here. You're an absolute beast, and I love you. Just wanted to say that. Um, <laughs> going forward, let's get this uh, a little further along and break this down a little bit more. Um, when we're looking at this relationship, we're gonna to have to define a couple different energy systems independently so we can kind of understand how they work together, right? Let's first and foremost, we already talked about max output, let's talk about the anaerobic energy system, right? Essentially, you know, when we're speaking of max output, these max output activities, um, you know, the anaerobic energy system is primarily responsible for, uh, you know, controlling and, and motoring them and, and fueling them, right? So the anaerobic energy system is responsible for those short bursts of strength and power at max output. And these really usually don't last longer than 12 to 15 seconds if they go over uh, 12 to 15 seconds and they're truly at a max output threshold, then they're not anaerobic and they get to another threshold, which I can explain. Um, put simply enough, like anaerobic is just an activity. It, it literally means like without the presence of oxygen. Um, you know, this doesn't, this type of activity doesn't involve the transportation of oxygen through the body. Um, you know, and it's not directly related to what is perceived as the body's cardiovascular system. So again, if you're listening, you might be saying like, how can I possibly say that a strength training or speed training activity that is using a system such as the anaerobic that doesn't involve oxygen, how can that help a system like the aerobic that does involve the presence of oxygen? I will explain. Um, instead of the anaerobic system relying on oxygen or the body's cardiovascular system, it relies on the muscles and production of what is known as creatine phosphate and ATP or adenine triphosphate, which are two uh, the two compounds primarily responsible for fueling uh, high output shorter timed activity right so when you go to do a max you know speed 10 yard sprint excuse me let me take a sip of my drink real quick okay just why the mouth was getting a little dry there um you know essentially cp and atp uh they have stores in your body right and some athletes have uh, you know, a better system to, you know, make them present for longer or whatever, but that's not what I'm going to get into. That's not the point here. Essentially, those two compounds are what's responsible for fueling those movements and oxygen is obviously not, right? Uh, there are limited amounts of CP, excuse me, and ATP present in the muscles, right? So if you go run, let's just say for argument's sake, I'm going to use the 40 because technically speaking, you can run a 10-yard sprint. Not technically speaking, like it's, it's just the way it is. You can run a 10-yard sprint at max speed and it's short enough that you're not going to use up all those uh, CP and ATP. Think of those as like, and this just popped into my head. I was watching an episode of The Fast and Furious the other night and uh, it was the first one, Vin Diesel and um, for the life of me, I'm blanking on the other guy's name. Uh, Jesus, uh, who the hell is the other guy's name? Um, the guy who died, rest in peace. Uh, the guy, Brian, whatever. Paul Walker, there we go. So <laughs> Vin Diesel and Paul Walker in a straightaway um, and they're racing each other. And they're at this like coasting, so to speak, speed. They're definitely not at the max speed that the cars can go yet. And everyone knows in these like, you know, theatrical, uh, intense racing movies that there's that moment where the driver presses the button and the nitrous kicks in and it gives the car the boost, right? Well, Paul Walker just hits this nitrous button and his car 
takes off. Like he shoots back to the seat. They make it this big, you know, theatrical thing, and he's flying. He's going. He's going. He's going. This car is like going as fast as it possibly can. It just kicked in. Think of this nitrous as being that CTP, or I'm sorry, that CP and ATP. Uh, like there's a, there's a finite amount of it, right? Like he doesn't have nitrous. Just he can't press the button in the entire race. His car just blows everyone's doors off, right? Doesn't work that way. He's pressing this button. He's going fast, 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 fast. But not only does the um, the storage of the nitri- nitrous, uh, the you know, nas is like the racers call it, sort of diminish over time, and it get you know you use it all up and you don't have it anymore. But the car cannot simply operate at that high threshold without damaging occurring, damage occurring. Um, so he presses his button. He's flying. The car's going. It's going. It's going. It's going. And you know he gets a warning manifold overheating this whatever the bolts start to go on this thing he ends up overheating his engine it shuts down whatever he was trying to push that car past the threshold of the nitrous that it had or the speed that it could possibly maintain for that long of time and think of your body in the same way we only have such a limited store of the cp and atp to fuel anaerobic activity so when we go beyond uh, you know, that store, the body has to start to use other energy systems to not only fuel the activity, but we no longer can perform those activities at that max speed. It's just not possible, right? So that's anaerobic in a nutshell and examples of those to kind of finish off would be like a short sprint, um, you know, jumping or any type of like sport specific activity, uh, you know, at max intensity for a uh, short period of time. Uh, forgive me, my mother's phone is ringing. I'm going to kill her when she comes down here. It should be done ringing in about 10 seconds, so I apologize for that. Uh, and she also, conveniently enough, has a very annoying ringtone. So we'll just kind of sit here and listen to that. Um, and when that's done, we'll, we'll kind of continue from here. All right, good. Done. That's done with. Uh, you got to just, you got to love live recording, right? Um, so we have short sprints, jumps, or any type of sport-specific activity uh, at max uh, intensity for a short period of time. Anaerobic. Jot some of those notes down on that. You're going to want to refer back, right? So just kind of going back for a second, we have our max and operational output. I define those. And then we have our anaerobic, right? Put those down. We're going to need to learn the relationship between these in a little bit. Moving on to the aerobic. Complete opposite of the anaerobic. Aerobic is an activity or is the energy system that is involving the presence of oxygen, right? So this is really highlighted by the use of the cardiovascular system when it comes to uh, fueling or um, being the driver behind activity, right? Uh, You know, this is activity, like I said, that is less, uh, you know, intense in nature and, you know, can or does, not can, it does involve the presence of oxygen, um, you know, depending less on, you know, those creatine and phosphate and ATP stores of sources of energy. So, this is an activity that's not intense enough where like those high output energy um, you know, systems or fuel of the muscles are not needed and the oxygen can support the activity in and of itself, right? So right off the bat, you understand that the intensity is a big difference in these activities. So it's not uh, a full max output, uh, high intensity activity like the anaerobic and it can be uh, you know, for a little longer of time or a lot longer from time, depending on the intensity, right? So when it comes to the aerobic system, there are three main areas that we deal with, right? So we have aerobic recovery. Uh, you know, that's something we can use to kind of recover, uh, heal the muscles after stressful activity, whatever. And that's very low intensity activity. Um, you know, roughly at 65% of max capacity, 
you know, very low. It's like, think of like a, uh, you know, 20 second or 30 second jog at like a six out of 10 intensity. And you're, then you're walking afterwards um, in a little bit of an interval style. Like it, it's really not taxing you whatsoever. From there, we move a little bit up higher and we have aerobic maintenance. So that's designed to maintain a, uh, a level of aerobic conditioning or kind of keep you, um, you know, in your current state of aerobic conditioning and maintain it as the uh, definition says. So that's roughly now we're ticking up a little bit and that's going to be like your 75 to 80, 85% of max capacity. So that's tax, just taxing enough and just at a high enough threshold where it's actually like building uh, or I'm sorry, not building. It's maintaining you, what you've built um, from aerobic conditioning standpoint, right? So going on to the last one from there, aerobic capacity. So we've learned about how we can possibly recover using the aerobic system. Uh, we've learned about how we can maintain and, and the percentage we need uh, to maintain our aerobic conditioning. And now if we want to build our aerobic capacity, um, you know, this is more designed to improve the level of our aerobic conditioning. And this would be something that's like 90% or higher of our max uh, threshold, right? So this is something where like, hey, I might run at eight or a nine out of 10 for 20 seconds, rest a little bit to kind of like let it simmer down a little bit and then go right back into that other part of the interval. Um, you know, so this is done to improve my conditioning. So when you tell somebody like, hey, I want to get in better shape, like generally speaking, this is the type of activity you're looking to do. Um, so now when we look at uh, the anaerobic and aerobic, essentially how it works is either one has a point where like you can't go either too high in intensity or too long a duration or else you will cross over from the aerobic or cross over from the anaerobic and you'll move into the lactic threshold, right? The lactic threshold basically, you know, comes down to when the intensity of the activity is too high and done for too long or the or vice versa. It's too long and it's slightly too high in intensity. So like you can, you know, perform uh, a wind sprint or a tempo run or something for aerobic recovery because the intensity is really low. But you can't go perform 50-yard sprints at your almost as much as, as fast as you possibly can over and over without rest because you're going to bleed out of the aerobic because there's not enough time to recover and you're going to bleed out of the anaerobic because the uh, amount of time with that high of intensity has been too long. So what happens is um, you know, the lactic threshold is a state in which the body, you know, has, like I said, exerted too high uh, of a level of max output for too long, or, you know, where oxygen uh, cannot transport fast enough to support the activity, or the stores of uh, the CP and ATP that I mentioned that are the main drivers of muscle activity in those high level or high output scenarios for short periods of time are depleted and not given sufficient time to restore, right? So you're running that long sprint, you're gassed, you're done, and you're just like, coach is like 20 seconds, you gotta go back, right? I'm not gonna get into the, you know, the, uh, <laughs> I'm not gonna get into the rant about like why I hate that type of conditioning, I've done that before. And it might be getting tired at this point, but you're gonna kinda understand why I don't like it with this explanation uh, anyway. So we understand now that the lactic threshold crossed when I don't have uh, sufficient, sufficient oxygen transport to support the activity or I deplete the CP and ATP for the anaerobic portion, right? Boom, lactic threshold. Because of that, um, there's this phenomenon known as lactic power. Lactic power is the ability to exert you know, as close to your maximum output as you possibly can while you're in this state of depleted CP or ATP, or when oxygen cannot transport efficiently enough to support the activity, right? So think about it this way. 
Uh, lactic power would be the skill where like I can run um, you know myself to the point of near exhaustion but when I need to call like so let's just let's go back to sports right so we're talking uh, let's go let's go to hockey I've done football I've done baseball let's go to hockey uh, forgive my poor use of some vernacular or vocabulary in this because I'm not an expert in hockey I'm getting better obviously every day as I work with a lot of those guys but uh, bear with me here so your hockey player is out on the ice, your forward, your defenseman, whatever it is, and they're stuck in a long shift, right? So they're not able to get off the ice. Something, they're shorthanded, uh, you know, the movement of the puck has not allowed them to, you know, change guys into a shift, whatever it is. And your guy is out there getting dogged. He's going up the ice, down the ice. Like, he's he's pretty uh, exhausted, whether it's because he's been going too hard for too long or he's just been going nonstop. So this guy is pretty dogged, but... Now he's down at the one end of the ice and there's a breakaway, right? So the puck breaks away and he has to like haul ass and he's got to like get after this puck. He's got to as fast as he possibly can with as much as he has left. He has to even in this exhausted and, and, and fatigued state get to that puck or get to that guy as fast as he can at as high of a speed as possible. The ability for your max output in this scenario to be as close as we can get it to your you know, traditional max output when you're rested, that is lactic power, right? So this could be valuable in a time in sports when you might be fatigued in a rare scenario where it's just nonstop action, like a little different than what a usual game would be, but like you're able to just kick it in gear and, and reach 80 to 90% of your max output versus a guy who, you know, might not have that quality and he's only able to get to 60 or 70. So you can imagine how that would really, really, really help, um, you know, your ability to, to operate while fatigued. It can come in handy in those late parts of the game when you're fatigued. So, first and foremost, improving your lactic power or lactic threshold, right? We're going to go over this first. If I can put myself in training environments where I get used to, uh, you know, performing high output activities when fatigued, it can be really useful to me. I don't, if, if you've seen some of my posts on Twitter lately where I, you know, fatigue one of my hockey, my hockey players' quads, as you know, the quads are very instrumental in skating. I can fatigue their quads, let's just say with an ISO hold, a bunch of, um, you know, step ups or split squats, whatever. And then I put them in a position where they have to go perform a dynamic sled push, a dynamic step up, a dynamic split squat, whatever it is at a fast speed. I'm basically conditioning them to learn how to put out high output of activity in those step ups, sled pushes, whatever, after they've been fatigued, right? So this can be very valuable in taking those guys to the point where when their quads are gassed at a lot of skating, they still have the ability to put out a high level of output of their max output. And you could see how that can maybe put them ahead of their competition, right? So we have the anaerobic, we have the aerobic, and you kind of see how they work. And then, you know, the times where one might not be used, one is used, uh, how we can, or how we get in situations where they're fatigued and, and depleted, and we still have to keep going, and you have the ability to kick into this lactic power uh, or lactic threshold ability, right? But here's the thing. There's a way that we can ensure uh, that it takes us longer or it's harder for us to go outside of those aerobic or anaerobic zones. And all it's, it's really quite simple. It just goes back to the max and operational output, right? So let's think of it this way. I have uh, this, this guy who competes in the, uh, the Ironman competitions or even better yet, uh, you know, I have a, uh, let's just say, uh, I have an NFL running back, right? So... These guys do no type of quote-unquote conditioning work, but what they do for uh, you know several months is 
a lot of sprints, uh, a lot of you know lower body strengthening work. They've improved their overall force production, their rate of force production, and they've become a faster sprinter, right? So in the 20 yard sprint, excuse me, respectively, both the Ironman competitor and the football player have put faster times out, right? So they lowered their 20 yard sprint to the lowest time they've ever run, and they're the fastest they've ever been, strongest they've ever been, et cetera. So in the case of the Ironman guy, if his max output or max sprint time is higher, the speed in which he runs in a marathon when he's you know maybe going at 50% is way less of a percentage, that operational output when he's coasting through his marathon is way less of a percent of his max output. So right off the bat, what that tells us is that going back to the aerobic system, we talked about aerobic recovery, aerobic maintenance, and aerobic uh, capacity work, right? We talked about how it depends upon what percentage of your max output you're in for what category you'd be working on depending on what you're doing, right? So think about it this way. If my max output's high, right? And now I go to run a marathon and I'm doing these this, this running that's not a sprint, but it's like a jog, whatever it is. But that jog is way less of a percentage of my max output. I'm gonna be able to stay in a lower aerobic zone, a less taxing aerobic zone for a longer period of time than someone next to me who might not be as fast or strong or as powerful and sprint as fast as I do, right? Or as fast as uh, my guy Jim does when he competes, right? In the case of the football player, he gets his 20 or his 40 down and he's faster out in that max straightaway sprint than the running back on the other team. So in that two-minute drill at the end of a game when the you know there's no huddle, they're running back to the line and he's huffing and puffing and gassed, and, and he's running over and over and over again, even so all of that output is still at a lesser percentage of his max threshold. So it's less taxing on his aerobic system. Maybe he spends a little more time in aerobic recovery or aerobic maintenance versus the other player or the other Ironman runner is more in that aerobic capacity where he's taxing now his system and he's more likely to cross over quickly into that lactic threshold. On the other side of things, look at the anaerobic, right? Now I define anaerobic as an activity that's you know, max speed and it being max speed or max power output your uses uh, creatine, phosphate, CP, and ATP, right? So if my max output is higher, right? So now I'm in a position, let's go back to this hockey player. I'm in this position where, you know, I have to go a dead away sprint blue line to blue line, right? But the guy next to me isn't nearly as fast as I am. So blue line to blue line, I'm really fast. It takes me 1.2 seconds, but this guy takes 1.5 seconds. I, can, I don't have to now go, since my max output is higher, I don't have to go at my full speed to beat him. So what that does for me is if I don't have to go at my full speed, I'm not going to fully deplete those stores of creatine, phosphate, and ATP. So I can better or be better served than that other guy to getting right back into it and going a little faster because I have a reserve left, right? So I've done no conditioning work whatsoever, but just the fact that I'm naturally built up my speed, I'm a little faster, a little stronger, whatever, and now the you know operational output that I have to exert in the field of play, in my marathon, during my Ironman, during my swim, whatever it is, that's a higher level, that's uh, the operational output, it's a lower level of my max output now, it is using less of the either energy systems and it allows me to be able to go back and do those things either faster than the next person does, uh, you know, and I don't have to spend as long to recover or I'm going to be able to do them for a little bit longer, right? So I've done no conditioning work whatsoever, but here I am able to put 
you know, a better performance together in an activity that might be uh, aerobic based just because my max output is higher. And by my max output being higher, my operational output that I need to succeed in those events is less of a percentage of it, which makes the activity overall less taxing on me. And it just makes me better conditioned as a whole. So, you know, the, the grand theme of this and the, to put a bow on the entire thing is that we want to say, you know, if I have two cars and one of those cars can go zero to 60 in four seconds and the other one goes zero to 60 in five seconds, you know, the car that's zero to 60 in four seconds, if it races the other car, it's not going to have to go full speed, right? It's going to go 80, 90% of what it can do at a max. And something moving 80 to 90% of the speed of what it can do is going to be way less taxed than something that has to go 100%. So if we're going and we're, comp- we're improving our overall force with strength training, we're improving our speed uh, and, and our sprint uh, time and max output and, and, and all that kind of stuff with our speed training, you can really see how it would have a really positive impact on our overall conditioning. They all tie together. The better, the, the less I can tax myself with my max outputs, or the higher I can make my max outputs, uh, makes my operationals less taxing on me uh, when I'm either in the field of competition, in the field of play, whatever it is, right? So just remember, like I can achieve a lot if I just, you know, strength and speed train and improve my max output because then, you know, the lower levels that I need are gonna be way less taxing on me. So, you know, in a nutshell there, you're getting that idea that like we can accomplish a lot with just the speed and strength training, obviously, uh, that's not to say an athlete cannot do um, conditioning. My all my guys do it. Uh, just depends on you know what we're looking for, what we need at the time, whatever. It, it's obviously helpful, but my main point is that you know two birds, one stone, training economy, trying to get the most out of uh, you can out of what you're doing. That you can you know improve two things at once here. That getting faster and stronger uh, not only improves those areas specifically, but can also carry over to your aerobic system and your overall conditioning. So. It's it's truly a wonderful thing that you can get both of those done uh, simultaneously. It's it's uh, fantastic in that sense, and I think it's something that you know more and more people need to understand. Uh, you know, going forward, that like the benefits of strength and speed training are just there. There's there's so many, and like we're sitting here, you know, doing all of these you know uh, crazy conditioning tests and crazy conditioning uh, activities and training and and all that kind of stuff. And it's just, it's really, you know, not necessary for, you know, what we're trying to achieve. Like we can do a little bit less of that and understand that we can get a lot out of, um, you know, our strength and speed training in terms of improving uh, our overall conditioning. So I hope all of that made sense. Please feel free to ask questions. Uh, you know, I'm going to post this on Twitter in a tweet as I always do. Feel free to comment on that. If you have any questions, DM me, tweet at me. DM me on Instagram, whatever it is, leave feedback. Uh, as I always say, you know, really, really, really would appreciate, uh, you know, a subscribe or a review or a rating, whatever it is. It really helps. Um, you know, as I always say, but you know, weekly the views are climbing and it's just it's been you know fantastic. So I really want to kind of keep pushing that forward. Um, as I mentioned in the beginning, now that I kind of got through, you know, the meat and potatoes. If you want to stop listening to me, you can, but I recommend you listen because there's some cool stuff. Um, previewing some guests going forward. Uh, really, really excited to have uh, Brian Scanlon uh, and his wife Megan Scanlon. I'm going to have two different interviews with them this week. Uh, you know, Brian, as I've mentioned before, is a uh, recruiting mind in the recruiting business. He was an assistant coach at Babson College. He actually recruited me. 
Um, and he, you know, has some great uh, insight on recruiting and kind of things that can help uh, coaches, I'm sorry, players and parents when it comes to interacting with coaches and trying to get to the next level, whatever sport it may be. Um, so excited for that. His wife, Megan, is just a world-class power lifter, um, Olympic lifter. She's just fantastic. She has a great following in the powerlifting community. She also does um, online training for a lot of people. So she's fantastic. She's great. Uh, I'm also super excited. Tomorrow, I'm going to be uh, interviewing Eric O'Flaherty. Eric uh, spent a considerable amount of time in the major league, in the major leagues pitching for the Atlanta Braves, New York Mets, um, Oakland Athletics, amongst others. He really made a big uh, impact with the Atlanta Braves uh, out of the bullpen for a couple seasons. Uh, I believe he posted something as low as his, uh, a .79 ERA or something like of that nature in, in 80 plus innings in 2011, which is phenomenal. Um, you know that alone makes me excited to get him on here. But like he's also been a guy that I've uh, interacted with a lot on Twitter over the last year or so, and he says uh, a lot of cool stuff and has a lot of cool thoughts. So I'm just really, really thrilled to get him on here. I think it'll be a great perspective for a lot of the uh, coaches, parents, and players who follow me uh, in regards to baseball, and then just the athlete, any other athlete in general who wants to get uh, training perspective and you know kind of see what it takes to make it to the professional level in any sport. Um, we also I will be recording uh, part two with Trey Hannum. That episode has exploded. Uh, a lot of great feedback on that. Uh, you know, Trey was great. We got to discuss a lot of important stuff related to, you know, online coaching careers, getting into coaching in general, uh, picking his brain on how he goes about training his hitters and like some of the process he takes, um, you know, what he's found to be important with strength training and speed training and how he thinks it helps hitters and, uh, you know, just his outlook on, you know, the importance of nutrition and kind of getting all those ducks in a row, uh, you know, when you want to be the best athlete you possibly can be. Part two, we'll get a little more into like the mechanical side of what he teaches and honestly just, you know, continue from where we left off the first time. Obviously, we opened up questions for listeners uh, or people who uh, interact with both of us on social media. So if you have any questions you'd like to hear us, uh, hear me ask him, topics you'd like us to talk about, please do not hesitate because, you know, the most important thing is to be able to answer and talk about things that you guys want to hear. So uh, just let us know, comment on Twitter, uh, throw us a tweet, DM, whatever it is, and let us know some things you want to talk about. Um, and I just want to kind of talk about some of the last few episodes that we've done. Um, you know, I'm very happy with not only the feedback, but how the episode I did, uh, the solo episode I did uh, on the 19th of June, I posted it, um, you know, regarding speed and everything you need to know about that. A lot of great feedback on that. Uh, that's That's been huge. And it really made me want to, you know, do a little, you know, more in terms of these episodes relating to me just kind of giving you tips and pointers on given topics and seeing how I can help everyone that way. So going to be doing those a little more. Obviously, this episode is just like that in terms of, uh, you know, giving you guys tips. Uh, the velocity-based training episode with Pat Robles was awesome. He was great. Uh, that episode is nearing 500 downloads, which is fantastic. A uh, lot of nuggets in there about things that you can do with velocity-based training with the barbell uh, in your lower and upper body to kind of help uh, as an athlete in general and some baseball-specific stuff. And then obviously, shout out again to, uh, from about a month ago, I had Les Nozzle and Carlton Salters on. Two fantastic episodes that both passed 500 downloads, which is huge. Uh, thrilled about that. Those were two great guys. I will definitely have to have them on. Again, in the future, uh, you know, Les is just a really cool dude. We had a great conversation uh, about a lot of different things, life lessons, hitting, lifting, whatever you want to, you know, 
whatever it is, you name it, we talked about it. And Carlton is just a really, really, really bright hitting mind. He actually uh, has done a little um, work with TJ Ward, a guy that I've had on the podcast, uh, muscles and management alum and an athlete of mine who was having some issues um, out in indie ball, uh, you know, struggling a little bit. And he, I set him up with Carlton and they've been kind of going back and forth ever since. And he's, you know, yielded some great results with the stuff that they've worked on. Um, if you're a hitter who's struggling, maybe listen to that episode. And there's some things you could pick out from what Carlton has to say that can really go a long way in helping you. Um, so the last five episodes, basically, go check them out. Go give them a listen. Uh, some great guests. And then the future ones that I'm, you know, recording this week, I'm really looking forward to that. So uh, as always, thank you guys for the continued support. Um, you know, let me know what you want me to talk about. I'm going to be uh, doing some kind of cross work where I'm taking some articles I've written, turning them into podcasts and taking some podcasts and turning them into articles. Uh, and that was actually something I forgot. One last announcement. I'm uh, pretty thrilled to be taking a paid contributor slash writer position with Stack Sports. So I will be taking some of these podcasts and parlaying them and turning them into articles. And then if there are any articles I write for Stack that uh, you know have a lot of positive feedback and are liked, I can also turn them into podcasts with more of a verbal explanation. So super thrilled for that opportunity. Couldn't have gotten something like that without the support of everybody uh, on Twitter, Instagram, and uh, all my athletes, obviously. So thank you guys for that. Uh, Another great episode. I'm going to go outside and enjoy the sun a little bit by the water. Uh, and, and you know, hopefully have a great vacation week and get some you know good episodes done the rest of the week for you guys going forward. Hope you enjoy. Thanks again. Thank you for listening to the Muscles and Management podcast brought to you by Challenger Strength. I'm your host, Jerry Filippo, helping you build your body and your business.